this was a great moment because in in the last two plus years, we automated over 200,000 manual hours. Welcome back to Bots and Thoughts, the hyper automation podcast sponsored by Salient Process. I'm your host, Jimmy Hewitt, aka Mr. Automation. Reddy Malidi is one of the most experienced and accomplished hyperautomation leaders in the world. With the perspective of having led a $4 billion Autodesk's global automation operations, Reddy imparts his knowledge and passion for hyperautomation and how he did it, dropping golden nugget after golden nugget along the way. Starting off with how he became a big hyperautomation guy, during this conversation, Reddy gets into topics like how to get your team behind hyperautomation the right way, how to overcome apprehension and stave off disappointment, his virtuous cycle of hyperautomation that combined professional development with operational excellence, and so much more. Reddy is a leader, a builder, a coach, an all-around great person inside and outside of the hyperautomation world. And it's my pleasure to share our conversation with you all. Thanks again for joining us. My pleasure, uh, Jimmy. This is a you know really fun topic and very close to my heart. Yes, we are kindred spirits oh, in absolutely. the world yeah. of hyperautomation. Yeah. I've been really looking forward to this conversation. And I think the listeners out there, if they have any inclination for hyperautomation, wherever they are on their journey, because it is a journey, of course, should yeah. be... Uh, should, should be really excited about this episode. Right. And speaking of journeys, I would love to get started with your journey, not to ask you about your background, but if you could please maybe run our listeners through your background in the context of what paved the foundation for that moment when you woke up one day and said, wow, I have found my calling. It's hyper automation. It's applying automation to business. What is your background in the context of what brought you to being a big hyper-automation guy? You know, uh, Jimmy, I'll give you my background. I wrote software code many, many years ago. Mm -hmm. I have been around the block for a long time. And I am very fortunate to be where I am today. I have been a VP for Autodesk running the global operations mm. for the last uh, three plus years. And when I started, there was lots of processes and the complexity that my team, my global operations team, 550 people, we see the complexity, the processes that evolved over a period of time. Mm. And as you know, in every company has technical debt and systems become old. And what happens is that the teams, the people, they're dealing with tedious, mundane, a lot of manual tasks, mm -hmm. cuts and paste and importing Excel sheets. It's not fun. It's not fun. Mm -mm. So when I joined Autodesk and then I was looking at all these challenges my team was facing and then... I had a really, you know, great boss in the CFO at the time. He had a vision and he supported me in investing in the hyper automation. Mm -hmm. And what we did initially, we started with a you know, small team, but in automation, you know, there are steps you need to take. I'll tell the story uh, as we move along, mm -hmm. but the opportunity to automate to improve the quality 
of our employee experience. Yes. This was so great. This was so great. And I was very fortunate to have a boss that supported me. And believe it or not, I mean, this was a, this was a great moment because in, in the last two plus years, we automated over 200,000 manual hours. Can't wait to hear about each of those use cases. We promise our listeners a dissection of use cases. So we will definitely get into that. You mentioned a couple things there. People, executive belief, walking in and, and noticing a lot of things your team does not enjoy doing, those manual tedious things. Let's get into it a little bit. How do you start to crack that nut? How do you go about solving for those employee experience challenges? Is it a big bang approach? Is it a start small? Is it somewhere in between? How do you go into a company and start implementing hyper automation? You know, Jimmy, my philosophy is, you know, new technologies are messy, complex, different narratives happen. So you need to be careful. You know, my approach is always go slow. You don't want to boil the ocean. Disappointments will happen. So you need to have a C-staff sponsorship. Mm -hmm. That's very critical. And you need to get your team behind it. And how do you do that, right? If you start with a, hey, you know, we need to do hyper automation to automate all the processes across the company and you invest and then it's going to take a long time. The second thing that's going to happen is the employees may think, oh, well, this is going to eliminate all our jobs. Mm -hmm. A lot of apprehension happens. And if it is going to take a long time, you're going to disappoint. You're not showing the ROI. And so the disappointment comes from the employees. We have been doing this for a long time. God, what is happening, Mm -hmm. right? And the C staff, the CFOs, and you know, they're not seeing uh, results. They're like, yeah, we're sinking in the money. Mm -hmm. We're not seeing the ROI on it. Mm -hmm. So my advice and what the approach we took is go smaller, prove the concept. Mm -hmm. This is what uh, I have seen throughout my career, uh, Jimmy. Anywhere in a new technology, you want to be careful before you invest a heavy, heavy, right? Mm -hmm. Especially my belief is in the technology adoption curve, hyper automation, we are at the very beginning. We are at the very beginning. So uh, what we did is we picked uh, use cases. There are lots of use cases, by the way. How did these use cases hit your desk? Did you go out and look for them? Did they come to you? Was it your first win that got maybe publicized around the company? So success breeds more success and then things start to come to you. How did that first use case hit your desk? Well, you know, this is a combination of things happened because when I or my leadership team, we observe these things, right? Mm-hmm. You, you walk on the floor and you see, you know, one time I was actually in uh, Europe uh, in, in Dublin office mm-hmm. and I see, you know, there have uh, value added tax, right? And our the customers are in every uh, country in Europe and they need to do that. And then a lot of cut and paste was happening across these multiple windows. Oh, no. And believe it or not, actually, you know, the complexity we built ourselves, our client support specialists, 
at any given time, they're dealing with 15 plus different systems. They you have, saw this over their shoulder. Oh, yeah. The best way to learn about anyone's role very quickly to understand the pain points is just shadow them. So looking at it, oh, there was a lot of cut and paste. It's, I, is it fun? No. Right? Who likes cut and paste? Oh, no, no. It's like it is happening. And then you do constantly day in and day out, right? Oh, that's like, um, why can't we just automate it? Right? Mm-hmm. And it's... Uh, no one is going to complain you automated that task. Yeah, they're not losing their job. No, no, automating they're not. Some they're, swivel chair cut and paste tasks. Yeah, they're, 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 they would be happier because, okay, this mundane and repetitive, this task is being done automatically. They can focus more on, you know, more strategic, more something more uh, fun. Spending their time with yeah. the customer. Right. It's a customer right. service team. Oh, yeah, exactly. Get them off the phone sooner. Yeah. Speak of experience, that's the employee experience, the customer experience. They don't want to be on the phone with the customer service reps any longer than needs to be to solve their problem, why they called. Exactly. And the customer service rep knows that too. They oh, yeah. want to solve the customer's problem as soon as possible, but they can't if they say, please hold for five minutes while I enter the same information into 16 different systems. Right, right. Exactly. Exactly. And right. by solving that, they don't have to do that terrible part of their day, the customer service rep. And right. how good do they feel getting their customer off the phone sooner? So, you know, we started uh, on this journey uh, three plus years ago, mm. right? Uh, yeah, three and a half years ago. And as we were uh, implementing these smaller use cases, right? Yes. There was a lot of excitement. It, it's unbelievable. The demand was so high. The list was so long. Mm-hmm. It's not like, you know, two use cases and then we were waiting. The use case list was like, you know, 50. And then we want to make sure that uh, we set the expectations right. And, you know, if you if you generate the excitement, but if you're not investing, this is why I was telling I was very, you know, fortunate to have a, you know, great uh, boss, yeah. my, my CFO at that time. Mm-hmm. He believed in this one, and uh, we invested. And so, what resulted was that we were able to actually take more and more use cases. We created a process team. I'll I'll talk about my, you know, uh, virtuous cycle of hyper automation. And we invested in process side. We invested in the RPA. We invested in um, AI, uh, machine learning, NLP side. Mm-hmm. And it generated a lot of the enthusiasm. We even invested in uh, what we call as citizen development, courage, employees. Yes. And we actually did uh, innovation. Basically, we were collecting the ideas. People were so enthusiastic, they would come up with all these ideas. They are vetted through our innovation program. We call it the Innovate to Operate. And uh, so it's, it's a combination. You you see some on the floor. You see all these uh, ideas coming from employees because, you know, the ideas, people who are close to the business, people who are close to the customers, they know the pain points. They can tell they you what needs to be improved, mm-hmm. right? So uh, the ideas were coming as as a leader, my role was to channel that positivity, take those ideas mm-hmm. and then get them the support and then get the ROI. That sounds like a tough job. You have a flooded inbox of, can you automate this? Can you automate that? 
different departments hearing about that that department got this automation. Their lives are so much better and more rewarding at work and they want the same for themselves. So talk about how you manage the incoming requests. How does how does that work? And then once the intake happens, how does your team go ahead and prioritize which automation gets that next unit of of resources? Yeah. Absolutely. That's a, that's a great question, uh, Jimmy. You know, when I took over the team, it was in very incipient uh, initial phase of experimentation, if you sure. call it. Yeah. So there were not many processes around, you know, software development or intake process. Mm. I, I like a little bit more discipline. And mm-hmm. so I, I asked my, uh, my, the, the senior director to put together an intake process because, you know, while we experimented and created some wins was great at the beginning, but I also saw some of the ROIs, like one hour saving for a three week investment in development. That's not good ROI. It doesn't add up. No, it doesn't. Right. Mm-hmm. And when you have like 50, requests and you can only support, let's say 15. That's not on top of your list. It shouldn't be, right? right? So so what we did is we created criteria that took into account the ROI, the number of hours saved or the risk that is mitigated. It's not about yes. just the hours saved, but you could be mitigating the risk, for example, in an export compliance, right? If the wrong account or the wrong person got access we sold it into the wrong person. That's on the entity list. That's a huge risk, right? Yeah. You, you want to make sure that you look from the risk mitigation perspective, or mm-hmm. is it enhancing customer experience? Yes. You may not be able to measure it, but those are all the aspects you need to think about customer experience, employee experience, the ROI, and yes. the risk mitigation. These are the factors you need to consider and then say, ah, okay, is this based on that criteria, does it go to, you know, is it number 50 on your list or is it number five or number one? Criteria, that's important. Having your checklist, your intake prioritization system based on criteria, which aligns to your your big why. Right. Why does your team exist for a particular purpose or a list of purposes, assigning weight and scores to each of those purposes, financial return on investment, risk mitigation with export compliance, avoiding fines, um, employee experience, customer experience. Those are five completely different categories, evaluation criteria. Yeah. Financial return on investment seems to be the easiest one to calculate. You get an average hourly fully loaded rate. And if you can take out 2000 hours, you do P times Q and there's your ROI. Customer experience might be a bit harder to quantify. So same with employee engagement and risk mitigation. Is it relative weighting one through five, one through 10 that you're putting on those non-financial ROI criteria? Or how do you get that net score to prioritize your list of 50? Yeah, it is. There is an element of subjectivity. Absolutely. Sure. Art and science. Yeah, it is. But... It's, it's, you know, you can define the process, what, how you would like that to be. If you're a truly customer company, I would imagine you put a lot of emphasis uh, in a good weight on the customer experience. 
same with you know if you're a people leader if you're a people oriented uh, company then you have to consider employee experience right and then obviously yeah. roi is in terms of hey you know how many hours you are saving that uh, maybe a, a bit easier it's it's more quantifiable versus the other ones the mm-hmm. experience side yeah. but there are ways to come up with those metrics and weights and then if you know based on the weights you give some will uh, come to the top of the mm-hmm. list let's go one level deeper on that i promise our listeners a masters phd level dissection of all things hyper automation what does that look like you have a request that comes in is that where you ask them to relatively score across those 5 to 15 odd evaluation criteria or does your team assign the score based on dialogue between the submitter requester and the the intake processor whoever that may be how does that really work on a day-to-day basis so when we have this uh innovation idea pooling system right when we have that actually we gave those templates to the people who are submitting those ideas they'll have to do that uh meaning hey you know employee experience uh, what way did you uh, you know uh, you give and you fill that template yeah so a number and a, a free form text field right they can it, score it and explain it right mm. because you know uh, what that does is there are lots of ideas that come to you but it also makes the person who has this idea to think through is this a simple one or because the investment when it comes the you know my my uh the automation the business automation team there are limited resources right that's right they you know we can't support every project so what we do is use that template and then they go through that criteria that's one mm-hmm. and oh okay then they might realize oh there's not much roi it's, it's like you know it is a fancy idea i got there's not much roi or it's not going to change mm-hmm. it may change my life a little bit but it's not adding a lot of value then they may drop that but mm-hmm. if if uh, mm-hmm. it's uh, turning out to be great customer experience or avoids me switching between you know five different systems mm-hmm. so that means you multiply that across all the customer you know client support specialists right yes. so then um, it turns out to be great experience it floats to the top right and then through the process we also allowed the uh, people uh, coming up with these ideas talk to the steering committee so it is also a training for them to mm. present to you know managers and senior managers and leaders so it was uh, it was an opportunity for them to stand behind their idea and also to learn some presentation skills so it was it was a great experience that's another virtuous cycle oh yeah that's absolutely absolutely yeah. employee engagement oh, as yeah. well i can imagine how in line with the mission employees who feel heard when they submit their ideas they get an audience with the intake committee and their idea turns into something that is engagement right there oh absolutely that is living the mission that is my company that is i am a part of my company and my company is better off because of me and vice versa right that and then by the way cycle. yeah yeah absolutely uh, I, i love the way you said it uh, jimmy it's, it, that itself is a virtuous cycle from the people side and uh, the, the ideas that made 
we give uh, points. It's you know you call mm. it kudos or something else sure. in your company. And there's a marketplace. You know? that yeah, it is. It is. Yeah. So we were recognizing them. Oh, that's great. Oh, and and uh, you know once it, these are implemented, by the way, mm. you know the top ones get implemented, and then they see their ideas becoming reality, mm-hmm. and then they become advocates for uh, the, the, the hyper automation. And then you get more intakes. Yeah, absolutely. Let me ask about the steering committee. That sounds like a sophisticated operation. That is not something you have on day one. No, we didn't. You don't have a steering committee on day one. What level of success does your hyper automation COE need to experience to, to require a steering committee? Is it your first five? Is it a certain volume of intake? Is it a bunch of things? I would say if you're starting completely new on mm-hmm. hyper automation, I wouldn't start with processes. I wouldn't start with steer co- steering committees, etc. Right? Mm. Because what happens is then you're burdening with uh, a little bit of over process at the beginning. Yeah, right? that's uh, probably until you get to again the scale may vary from uh, company to company. You need to come to that conclusion. Maybe the first, uh, you know, 2,000 uh, to 5,000 uh, manual hours saved. I wouldn't put any process, uh, at least not heavy process. Sure. You want to prove the concept, you know, take a few use cases. When you say process, just to be clear, you mean intake process. Uh, the, the intake process. Right. Intake. A strict review and approved right. process. Right. Not to say that we aren't mapping a process before we automate it. Right. right. Oh, yeah, yeah. It is the intake process. Right. You don't need a whole steering committee for no. your first two to 5,000 manual hours saved. Maybe maybe I'll call it, uh, yeah, you don't want to put the bureaucracy. Sure. You just take the ideas, implement a few get people behind it, they see it, oh, okay, this is changing. And then as you mature to the next level, then, hey, you know, define these processes. Because what happens is the first few ideas, you don't get like 100 ideas all at once. Right. But when people see the first five, oh, okay, then I guess this is changing and this is really great, right? Then people, the word gets around, and, uh, you know, there are more ideas coming and then your team is also maturing. And uh, so then, then you need an intake process. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, once you hit that capacity. Right, right. So it could come from anywhere. If we aren't installing a hyper automation COE on day zero, then it has to come from somewhere. There is an ember, a hyper automation spark, a catalyst somewhere. It could be a department head. It could be a, a finance director. It could be an operations director. It could be a customer service manager. It could be a customer service agent that says, hey, check this out. Why are we spending this much time doing low value copy and paste into 16 different systems? There has to be a better way. Someone does their own research. They stumble upon some sort of hyper automation capability. Maybe it's RPA. That's a really common entry point. Um, albeit there's five to seven very distinct hyper automation capabilities, but RPA is a really common entry point. How does, if you aren't installing a hyper automation COE on day one, do you agree that it could start that catalyst could come from anywhere? We deal with, you know, 
every day we, we are all doing our work, right? Mm -hmm. So the hyper automation could be in anything that can be done better. Mm -hmm. That means, let's say you're a finance or accounting guy doing journal entries. Mm -hmm. A lot it's, of automation in finance. Yeah, right? It's, you know, the, the, the typical ones, probably the, if you're looking from the ROI perspective, the easy ones are the, the most number, right, that you would benefit are typically coming from operations and then, you know, finance. Mm -hmm. And there are other areas, but you, if you start there, there are so many, mm -hmm. so many that are procedure-oriented, rule-oriented. Those are, you know, they're ripe for automation. Mm -hmm. Those are the things that also cause frustration to the customers. Mm -hmm. They're also the things that cause frustration to the employees. Yes. So there is a huge opportunity to improve both uh, uh, employee experience and customer experience. That would be a win for any company, any organization. And then successful breed success oh, yeah. in due time, you'll have your hyper automation COE. Right. I think that operations is synonymous with processes. Yes. Does not operations imply how something works, how something gets done from beginning to end? How does it operate? Yeah, it is. It is operations. Yeah, yes. What uh, is that process? It's, you know, uh, I, I spent a lot of time uh, in the uh, semiconductor industry. Mm -hmm. uh, the, we are very much in that space. A lot of processes, a lot of standardization. And, but it doesn't stop just in semiconductor industry. Every business, when you're dealing with, let's say, some customer calls yeah. and they want you to uh, change the term, uh, let's say they subscribed to your software for one year, they mm -hmm. have a one year subscription. And then Six months later, they say, okay, you know what? This is working out really well for us. Uh, we want to renew uh, instead of uh, one year, we want to go three years. Mm -hmm. They call years. in or they tell their, their account manager that. Yeah, mm -hmm. it is. Uh, it, it, uh, you want to make it easy and they, they'll come to their old, you know, if your systems are not, you know, up, updated. Right. They're old. Maybe they're, they're emailing. Up. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it, it could is. Be phone calls. They're hopefully all not kinds a fax. Of, oh, yeah. There, there could be multiple ways they can reach you. Yes. Right? So you want to make that uh, experience really good for the customer, mm -hmm. right? And then you observe these. Don't things. make them go to the post office. <laughs> <laughs> You'd be surprised. Some people are. <laughs> right. But when that entire process, right? But what I mean is, like, there are steps involved, mm -hmm. right? The customer calls and all the way to renewal and all the way into that renewal is made into our revenue recognition system mm -hmm. and gets into our numbers, you know, the financial reporting, right? So that's the whole thing is a process. So you need to map the process and you need to clean the process because, you know, mm -hmm. one of the things, uh, Jimmy, is... I am a big advocate in having clean processes. Process saying all mapping. the right things, ready? Oh. I love a good clean process. Yeah, absolutely. The as is, the current state process is rarely good and clean. Right. That's right. why we're doing 
doing what we're doing. Yeah. Yeah. So talk about that. How, how does your team go about mapping as is processes? What thought goes into creating a to be, how does that work? You know, this is where actually we have, uh, we created, uh, a process team, process experts. Mm-hmm. They work very closely with the business experts, someone who is doing the job day in and day out. Mm-hmm. Right. And then they sit together, they map the entire process. Because what happens is you are doing the business and something changes, right? There are new business models, new things are happening, some rules change. And to get the things done, you make tweaks and then over a period of time, it all builds up and the process becomes, you know, the overload happens. And then we need to go back and then clean the process because you do not want to automate a process that's bad. Meaning thoughtfully infuse automation into certain points along the way or before any automation happens, make sure that your to be future state makes sense. Right. It's it's the you want to clean up the process so that your to be makes sense. Give me let me, let me give an example. Please. If if you if you have a process that has too many handoffs, mm-hmm. you know, anyone with the, you know, uh, DMAIC, the, the, you know, uh, this is in the quality side, right? Mm. It's, it's a well-known process, right? To uh, define the processes. But where I'm going with that is... Yes, that's a cousin of Six Sigma, yes. APQC. Oh, thank you. Yeah, thank you. I, I went to the acronym. I should have said, yeah, Lean Six Sigma... Uh, approach. Let's say that, right? Mm-hmm. That's a lot easier for uh, uh, the audience yes. to understand, right? <laughs> so if you go with a process mapping, right? And then you identify there are lots of handoffs. That's mm-hmm. inefficiency, right? It's, I can give you an example. We were in, a, in one of our businesses. We noticed that to from the time a customer comes and then by the time we resolved it, there were a lot of handoffs happening between teams. Mm, email handoffs, phone call handoffs. It's a combination. It's it's a, it's between the teams, meaning, you know, oh, okay. So let's say the expert that uh, would resolve a given issue, maybe in a different team, instead of that customer uh, specialist resolving mm-hmm. it on, uh, on her own. Sure. Right? And then sure. what happens is they call leave a message or in some cases they need to create a case. And then mm-hmm. by the time that uh, other person attends, let's say that maybe from inside sales, whichever, right. Mm-hmm. Then the number of handoffs that are happening, that is adding to the cycle time. Yes. That's not good. Right. Right. So actually when we cleaned up in that example uh, with one of our businesses, we reduced the cycle time just by cleaning up the process by 75%. That's amazing. Right. Let's dissect that a little bit. When you share that a agent needs other teams to weigh in on, maybe review, approve, weigh in on, so on and so forth, maybe create a case. Some folks may think that infusing case management or workflow management, like a business process management capability would solve that. But it sounds like there's more than just throwing a workflow capability at that problem. How does the process re-engineering work? And what did that process re-engineering 
look like in that case? Uh, I'm curious because most people would just throw case manager at that or a, a, a workflow manager at that. Well, this is where the process expertise comes. When someone is doing a job day in and day out, right? They're an expert how the business works, but she may not be thinking from the process perspective. How could mm. this process be simpler? Yeah, it doesn't right? know any better. Right, right. It is, uh, yeah, it is just, this is... That's how it's know, always been. Right, it has always been, and this is what she's used to, and also always have good intentions. So let's get it done. Yeah. Right? But now you got the a process expert. The process expert, uh, expert would go through that and then say, oh, okay, okay, well, let's clean this up. Mm-hmm. Once you clean that, now that's ready for automation and then okay now you implement with an rpa you know that's the basic automation and then there is more intelligence side with the ai machine learning and uh, natural language processing some combination thereof Mm. so that's you know different levels of automation Mm -hmm. yeah sure one example that comes to mind is we had a customer that said, why does it take three weeks for our customers to uh, change their address if they move from one location to another? And the closer we looked at it, we found that it was because of missing information on the request. Maybe it was an email that missed a zip code. That was a common example. And the request would come in to an agent. The right. agent would send the information to the correct department. The department would then notice that there was missing data. Uh-huh. So the department would route the missing data request back to the agent who uh-huh. would route the missing data request back to the original customer requester and so on and so forth until there was enough data. And it actually got all the way down to the database administrator as the third order of, of separation from the original customer requester. Why not... If we're talking re-engineering processes as opposed to just, you know, throwing workflow or case manager on that, why not create a mandatory form field? Yeah. They can't submit a request if there's missing data. Right, right. You just solved a three-week problem down to three minutes without heavy hyper-automation software. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's, that, that's a process fix. That's quick. Of the three weeks... Probably that whole, you know, going back and forth is taking maybe 20 days and then one day to actually get the work done, right? Yeah, and your hyper automation team gets credit for that. Yeah. That's customer experience. That's employee experience. Yeah, absolutely. There's ROI there. There's manual hours saved there. And and the overhead was next to nothing. It just took mapping out a process. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, that's a great example. Yeah. So... Let's talk about an example. I have promised our audience dissecting use cases. You've mentioned several, uh, the Dublin swivel chair customer service experience. So maybe you want to dissect that one. What is your favorite hyper automation use case that you have touched, championed, been a part of, led? Please allow us to to really pick it apart. When we automated uh 200,000 manual hours. There are lots and lots of use cases. Crowning achievement. (laughs) But yeah, thank you. Uh, uh, The the one I'll I'll tell you, so I was talking about the systems not being up to date as businesses evolve, the business cases, the use cases change, right? So Mm. one of the things is a few years ago, we actually, the customers, they buy subscription for a year. And 
then they change their mind. Either they want to renew it for three years or one month later, they would say, oh, you know what? This is working out. We want to go for, you know, we want to extend it for another year. Sure, get a bigger uh, discount or right, something. Right, right. And then, you know, there are also changes that, uh, well, you know, we bought uh, three licenses. We, you know, COVID hit us, so we just uh, want to go with uh, two licenses. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are all these combinations of things, right? Mm-hmm. And then what we call as changing the term of your subscription, right? I'll just give one a small example. Mm-hmm. Our systems are older, so to do the term switch, you know, they come to our specialists, and then our specialists need to do that manually, right? And mm-hmm. it takes time because as i said there are lots of systems they need to filter through and meanwhile you have a customer that wants confirmation that their terms have been changed right right so uh we have uh you know between you know the sap uh salesforce and siebel all these different systems are there and if you multiply that let's say you know this happens all the time this is one of the uh use cases that happens all the time Mm -hmm. and then we did the process mapping, but we started the, the manual way when we allowed the term switches. So we started in a manual way, but then we saw how much time it is taking. And let's and, talk about how that mapping worked. What did mapping the manual process look so like? So we have the business analyst team that actually creates the process for any new business model. So Mm -hmm. they draw every step. Basically, it's like the process mapping from the time a customer calls in all the way until it is complete and then customer gets notified. Mm -hmm. Our business analysts, they do the process mapping. That's the first step. Do you have a favorite platform for process mapping? It's today it's done uh, manually. Done manually. Yeah, done done manually. Paper. Drawing, hand drawing. Well, it is, it is, uh, you know, Visio or, and then, you know, for the, uh, Microsoft documents and there are different ways our team does it because it involves talking, especially you're creating something new. Mm-hmm. You need to have discussions and, you know, how does it work with the pricing? You know, how does it work with the skew? How does it work with the, uh, the customer facing uh, specialist or agent, whatever you call, right? Sure. How does it work? You need to first understand all the steps involved. And then then you need to map and then which of them can be automated, right? If you're starting in sometimes the business requirements are such that we, need, we want to go as fast as possible and you don't have time to automate, that's going to take another three weeks. So you're starting manual, manually, and then you actually take the manual process and then start automating because you, you have you have created a process. Mm-hmm. Then what you're going to do is, okay, you don't necessarily have to automate the entire process on day one. Right. That you can too you much can, to bite off on. Yeah. Yeah. What you can, actually what we did is we did that in three iterations that, mm-hmm. you know, uh, what I call is uh, switching the terms. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, we did it in three iterations. That's a nice gradual incremental right. approach you're taking. Yeah, because you know, not every step or not every step of the process can be automated. So what we did is, okay, which of these can be automated? Let's figure that out. And then that was the first iteration. Mm-hmm. But you know, when we did uh, these three iterations, guess what? It is you know, this is operations, right? This is uh, uh, we get a lot of these requests and. It was saving, believe it or not, every year, 15,000 manual hours. No way. Yeah, it is 15,000 manual hours. All three iterations? Yeah, this is uh, the uh, after the three iterations. That's amazing. Yeah. Can we talk about those three iterations? What was one, two, three? So the mapping out needs to happen as the first step. Okay, not right. one of the three iterations. That's no, no, prerequisite. No. That's that's the that's the prerequisite to even to start because it's a new model that we allow. Yes, how can you possibly improve something that you can't see? Right, that you haven't modeled. Right, right. So prerequisite. That's, that's yeah. a prerequisite, right? Okay. But the part that I'm talking about iterations, in that whole process mapping we did, let's say there are twenty five steps. Mm-hmm. 25 steps from the customer calls in through our partner or our you know channel partners through them it comes to us so we need to start mapping right from there you know when they're okay. reaching to the partners so the, to us the request is coming to us and then all the different steps that our service specialists need to do across the systems mm-hmm. and then once they take care of that, then it is going it Workflows are kicking off. Right. And, All those workflows that, that yeah. happens. And once you map that, right, let's say there are 25 steps. Mm-hmm. And so you go eight, eight, and nine. Yeah, let's say. Okay, so easy. you eat an elephant one bite at a time. Right, right. You automate a process third, third, and third. Exactly. Okay, so that's a good way to focus. Um, and did one of the three emerge or bubble up through both art and science evaluation criteria right. to focus on maybe phase two first or phase one first, maybe throw some capture at the intake of an email request, or maybe it was phase two to when all those workflows get kicked off, throw some workflow business process management software at the end, or maybe in phase three, that's where the decision business rule logic lives. So maybe throw some decision. Did one of the three iterations become more of a priority to start with than the other? Oh, of the three? Of the three, yes. The way we did it was, which is easy for implementation. Sure, yeah, love that. Uh, Yeah. And were one of the three more easy to implement, like a cost-benefit than another? Right, right. Well, one is, obviously, if something is quickly implementable, we're getting a very quick return and better experience. Yes. It's a... And... Sometimes, you know, within the uh, processes, you will see, you know, what we call as a low-hanging fruit. Yes, low-hanging right? fruit. Yeah. So and you quick hit win that. on the board. Right. You, you hit that. Then you start to see the benefits already reaping. And then you Virtuous go to cycle. the you know, ne- next one and iterate because it, it takes it. And then by the time we were complete, also remember, it may not be possible that all those 24 or 25 steps may not be automatable. Absolutely. So you have to keep in mind, it's, it is still like, for example, if my team needs to 
interact, reach out, let's say, to the sales team or some other team or export compliance, for example, as mm-hmm. an example in that process. How do you automate that? RPA cannot do that, right? So you want to make sure that those steps are not a hindrance and you're not looking to, oh, it's like, okay, we need to do all these steps. Otherwise, it's it's not a good automation. No, no. Automate the steps that are amenable for automation. And secondly, where you can get the quick wins, start with those and automate as many as possible. As I said, it's at the, you know, it is still... Today, it still involves our specialists, but it's like if someone is spending 45 minutes on every you know, every one of these uh, pitches or mm-hmm. term changes, then it multiplies. That's Intense. how we get to those 15,000 per year manual hour savings by yes. automating it. How did the term change request hit your desk? Was it an intake process? It was one of those high priority ones we quickly implemented, but... It came I, to you through the the intake review committee. No, 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 it, it didn't. Uh, uh, actually, this is something as a business decision that was made. Oh, and then my team quickly supported it manually. Sure. And then the question I ask, anything that is coming, we are, our team is supporting. The first question I ask is, can we automate it? Mm-hmm. Gotcha. And that speaks to the idea of you don't have to map out your entire enterprise end to end to get started. Some leader somewhere knows where the pain is. Oh yeah, it is. This is, you know, the pain and my, my team knows the pain. Yeah. And when these things come, uh, it's like, Oh my God, how this is going to be painful. Right. Yeah. So that's why I always ask the first question is, can we automate it? So my team is not overburdened. Right. with additional manual tasks because it's like you know i can't just go and uh, you know hire another 10 people to support this right? not on day one right and once those wins start to add up just like running a business you can invest in more roi positive capital machinery right you as you generate we'll call the return on investment from hyper automation profits as this virtuous cycle generates more and more return on your investments, you can invest in more people. You can add more process analysts and you can map out instead of that one process, maybe that process group. And then you've automated as much as possible in that process group. Now you can map out the entire department and grow into eventually having an end-to-end wall-to-wall process map, but not start there. Would you agree that it has a place for a mature hyper-automation COE? Oh, oh, absolutely, absolutely. Because if your business is growing, the thing that the hyper-automation does is you would be able to support the growth of the business without necessarily hiring, let's say, your business doubles. Mm -hmm. A win, a huge win would be your operations team, the same team is able to support 2x business, Yes. That's a huge win. Yeah, without so, hiring more. Yeah, people. it's like, you know, if if you hire, if you uh, a lot more, I mean, this is not against hiring. You want to make sure that one, you're faster, you're nimble, mm-hmm. and your customer experience is great, and your employee experience is great. That's where you should be coming from. Yes. And if you have to double the team size, there will be more inefficiencies coming in and then in a training and it, it takes time. Right. It, so you want to make sure that 
customer experience is not compromised. You're mm -hmm. bringing in the efficiencies from the process side. Automation, hyper-automation helps in a big way. And all these wins that you're able to do with the hyper-automation, you can flow that back into investments into to support more complex situations and business cases that your people are focusing on them versus mundane, these cut and paste uh, tasks, Yes. right? Yes. That's where your reinvestment, you're putting the money back from all the savings that are coming. So to help grow the business and support the uh, business. Get into more advanced right. hyper automation capabilities. Right, exactly, yeah. Uh, rapid fire here. Sure. Got a couple minutes for you. You have a, a hard stop. Thanks again for the time ready. Sure, sure. Let's actually end with what is hyper automation. It's a complex catch-all phrase, which is actually one of the main reasons why we started this podcast, which is to dissect that word. I actually finished a an episode called What is Hyper Automation? And I define seven distinct capabilities. And I can share those seven with you if you'd like. Sure, but We absolutely. haven't spoken about this. Yeah. I'd be curious what your definition of hyper automation is. Maybe talk about what tools or capabilities are included, maybe the theory behind it, what it means to a business, what is hyper automation to you? You know, this hyper automation term was coined by Gartner. Yes, as you know, 2019. Right? Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, I think it, it, this has a lot of meaning to it. This is what differentiates the, the so-called hyper automation. It, it's, it's a more of an approach. It's not, mm -hmm. it's not tool specific. It's not mm -hmm. technology specific, mm -hmm. right? It's business driven. Yes. It is. Keep that in mind. It is business driven and you need to have a disciplined approach that shows business value in terms of Beautiful. ROI, customer experience, employee experience. These are all the business values. And the reason I, I'm saying it is it's not tool specific or it is agnostic to the technologies mm -hmm. is because you could be using combination of things as we just talked about. Mm -hmm. You need to have process mapping mm -hmm. that you could be used any tools. Sure. Right? Um, and you can have RPA as part of that, right? Mm -hmm. Or even rules based. Uh, software, right? Mm, like a business rules manager, yeah, business, decision yeah. automation. Right. Mm -hmm. And then it also, again, it is, uh, in, I view this as a virtuous cycle that begins with process and then more routine tasks that can be automated with the RPA and then more intelligent tasks that can be automated as I was giving the example of export compliance. Mm -hmm. It requires intelligence because, you know, there are shell companies and six degrees of separation from mm -hmm. the actual owner. Mm -hmm. So that requires a level of intelligence that mm -hmm. can be automated using AI, machine learning, and natural language processing. Combination of these, mm -hmm. these are all, they all constitute what is I would call as the hyper automation game. How about yes. capture OCR? OCR, OCR too. That's in your world of hyper automation? Oh yeah, yeah, because, you know, we, invoices is an example. 
Oh yeah, most invoices, common. right? Absolutely. Expense reports. Yes. Is this an expense report? Is this a invoice? Right. Categorize it. Right. Extract the data metadata. Yep. Every company is dealing with them, and then so OCR is part of the technology. That's why I am very agnostic about the technologies and tools, but this is a the business approach. value. Yeah. It's the this method. Is about the, it's who's approach. driving it. Right. right. How about workflow? Workflow is part of that. Workflow is oh, in yeah. there too. Yeah, it is part of it, right? And you said mapping. How about mining? It is too, right? Because mining. it's a, it's they two they go both, uh, you know, hand in hand. Yes. Yes. And then what about the content? Enterprise content management ECM. How is the file stored? How is that invoice stored? Uh, what's the retention policy, disposition schedule, redaction? That also, I'll, I'll give you from uh, you know from the customer perspective. Uh, also, from the employee perspective, the content management, you brought it from that side, but mm. there is another aspect to content management. There is knowledge management. Mm. Wow. Yeah, what, what I mean by mind. that is it's if someone, a user or a customer come to your website, if, if the knowledge article is appropriate, it is pulled very quickly, they can do the self-service. But if it is not, then they will call the, you know, your customer service. That's right? a negative employee ex- exactly. customer, experience, customer experience. And it affects your business. Right. And then sure. it works together. The, the employees need to pull the knowledge articles and then, you know, uh, take the notes and all that stuff. That is also part of the uh, knowledge management. That mm-hmm. is content management. Is, yeah. Okay. Brilliant. Okay. So we are kindred spirits in the hyper automation world. We have the same, uh, the same worldview there. Right. Um, what's a topic that we didn't discuss within hyper automation that you think may deserve more airtime on this episode than, than it might not have gotten, whether it's a, a capability, an important consideration to have when setting up a hyper automation COE or when advancing through your hyper automation journey. Think back to the discussion we had, which I've thoroughly enjoyed. What is a, a topic or a subtopic within hyper-automation that, that we haven't really discussed that we probably should have? There, there are a couple of them we did discuss, but uh, you know, we discussed a little bit peripherally, mm-hmm. uh, Jimmy. Having a C-staff sponsor, I cannot emphasize how critical that is. Brilliant. How critical that is. As I said, I was lucky that, you know, our uh, CFO, uh, my manager at the time, was very invested into this. And then, so that helped me, right? Mm -hmm. It's super critical in every company. Uh, Otherwise, you know, there are uh, resistance points that happen from multiple places. So having that C-staff sponsor is very, very important. Sure. Perfect. And that is all we had for today, folks. Thanks again, Ready, for your time. And there you have it, Ready Maliti, Autodesk's global automation leader and VP of operations, joining us on Bots and Thoughts, the Hyper Automation Podcast. Thanks for listening to another episode of Bots and Thoughts, the Hyper Automation Podcast, sponsored by Salient Process. Be sure to never miss an episode by hitting that subscribe button wherever you're listening to this. Get your hands on more content like this by following us on LinkedIn and YouTube down in the show notes and say hello. We'd love to hear your thoughts, perhaps even on an upcoming episode. Stay tuned for more episodes of Bots and Thoughts, the hyper automation podcast 
brought to you by Salient Process.